Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome a very accomplished individual from San Diego, California, Laurie Salpizio, to our show. Laurie, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Laurie is uh, uh, the director of the Conscious Leadership Academy at the University of San Diego. And interestingly, she was voted as the most likely person to be on ESPN in high school. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> so, so Laurie, tell me, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career? Gosh, wow. Wow. I mean, you know, for milestones, I guess I define that as um, significant events that then move me forward, right? So, so what comes to mind aren't always the most positive ones, you know. Um, I think the first milestone for me was I got hired relatively young mm-hmm. um, as a high as the head basketball coach for a community college in wow. San Diego. Mm-hmm. So I think I was at the time perhaps the youngest head coach in California for the community wow. college, and that was a big deal for me. Um, mm-hmm. I was very excited about that. I loved coaching basketball, and so that was a lot of fun, and that was a big deal to get that head coaching job. And we did well. I mean, it was was a great first season, and it mm-hmm. continued for about a decade. So that was. That was great. That was milestone number one. Okay. Milestone number two, I would say, is getting fired okay. <laughs> from that job, right? Okay. So um, that's kind of a whole story in and of itself. But mm-hmm. but I did get fired from that job. It was a, a discrimination um, kind of you know termination. We had a lawsuit, but that was very significant, and it mm-hmm. really made me understand organizations the structures within them, the oppression, the power, all of those things. Um, okay. And it was a good lesson, but a hard one, a really hard lesson. Hmm. Um, it's got a happy ending. You know, we, we had a lawsuit and, and won in a trial by jury. So it's, it's nice to say that, but hmm. it was not easy. My third milestone, I would say, is kind of a combination milestone. Hmm. So it, it's the PhD program at okay. the University of San Diego, which when I was there was just this incredible program that, kind of reached into the depths of our souls as leaders and pretty much turned us inside out to discover who we were as people and then to establish how we kind of translate that into leadership. Um, And that was a huge milestone, just the, the, my mentors there, the learning there, everything that went on. um, And that opened, that was kind of post getting fired. So it really, I think, put me on the path to where I am today. Fantastic. And, you know, your first milestone when you talked about uh, being the youngest coach, was that when you were voted as the most likely person on ESPN? <laughs> that vote, that was a high school. I mean, you that's a blast from the past. That was my high school, most likely, you know, <laughs> okay. in 1993 when I was a senior in, in high school. And um, that was really fun. You know, and I don't know if my law, it's funny because I think my lawsuit might have been, had a write-up on ESPN. So mm-hmm. I said, you know, they were prophesizing, you know, they, you it, came okay. uh-huh. <laughs> it came true. It came true. Not in the way maybe I would have hoped, right? And maybe I would have wanted a, a, a sweeter yes. way of being on ESPN, but yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So let's talk about the Conscious Leadership Academy. Tell me about this uh, organization. Yeah, you know, this, I, I love the CLA. We call it the CLA. It's, yeah. it's a place where I think we 
imagine what leadership could be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think there, there's a lot in the world, but in America, writing on leadership right now, I think leadership is in the spotlight okay. right now. Starting from the and president downwards, isn't it? Absolutely. And now I think there's some hope, right? Now we have a little hope um, sure. for leadership. And so there's a lot of work to be done. But at the CLA, we believe, I think, in the potential of leadership and the ability of leadership to, to address the really tough issues mm-hmm. and deal with the problems that don't have a clear answer, that require unlearning and relearning that requires sitting in discomfort and tension and holding that place while you work through really challenging you know, issues. And so the CLA, you know, from a technical place, we do consulting and coaching and, and all this mm-hmm. you know, stuff and all these services, but we do it from, from a place that I think has a depth and breadth of consciousness and mindfulness without sacrificing strategy in the bottom line. You know, it's, it's this amazing blend where I think we see the, the best and what could be. Mm. Um, and it holds on to hope. And right now, I think whether it's, you know, what's going on in the United States, just in terms of our country socially or the pandemic, I think we all could use some hope. You mm. know. Interesting. So my first question to you on leadership is, are, leadership, are leaders born or made? <laughs> you know, you can learn leadership. So I say you can learn leadership. Leadership can be taught and there are skills like reflection and contemplation and curiosity and giving and receiving feedback and making decisions, you know, that can be learned. And so I think we fully believe that and we've seen that. I mean, right, we've seen that. My colleague Ron Heifetz at the Harvard Kennedy School has demonstrated that. I mean, there's been amazing mm-hmm. people. Dem- Brene Brown, I think, is, is demonstrating that. So there's an amazing people um, doing amazing research showing that we can learn and develop our capacity to be better leaders. So when someone says that, you know, this individual is a born leader or is a natural leader, what, 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 according to you, would they be thinking of? Yeah, I think leadership as a concept kind of has this kind of social persona, right? Kind of this, um, this archetype. And then there's this kind of sexy way we view leaders as being charismatic and outgoing and always confident. And so I think they're speaking to that. However, I would venture to say that's a fantasy. I mean, that's a facade. That's often a posture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not real leadership. I mean, even the, the most natural, quote, leaders also have those moments of intense vulnerability, you know, intense fear, and they work through that, right? And so we can learn those things. Hmm. Very interesting. So tell me, you know, uh, what are some of the core values CLA believes in? You know, because you must have got a lot of students who are doing your programs. It's a great question. And I would say right now, if I were to speak at this point in time, you know, one of the core values that we have would be uh, diversity and belonging, Mm -hmm. you know, this idea of inclusion and belonging, which has to do with representation. So everything that we are doing now is is going through that lens of looking at how diverse can we be, how inclusive are we actually being, and do, do we have this notion of belonging across our team, you know, internally and the way that we work with clients and, and students and, and leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge one. Um, I would say growth is another really primary value of the Conscious Leadership Academy because we do believe leaders can be taught and you okay. can develop your capacity. So growth is a huge one. Okay. And then I would maybe say the final one is connection. 
Mm-hmm. If I would give three, we really want to deeply connect with the client. We want to connect with our people, mm-hmm. uh, our, each other, and just do our work from that place. We feel like a connected place is a more effective place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you spoke of your first value being uh, diversity and inclusion. Now, in, in the U.S., you know, diversity and inclusion has been, you know, has reached a different level. I mean, I know a lot needs to be done. But have you, uh, as a as CLA, looked at the huge gaps of diversity and inclusion in most parts of the developing world? You know, that's a great question. And I mean, do we have an international perspective? We do. I mean, we try to, I would say. We, we, we really try to. I think at the University of San Diego, um, global social justice is a huge value. We've got the, the Kroc School, which is all about international um, kind of social justice and innovation. Um, I would say that as of recently, I personally with the CLA have been connected, like with Nalima, for example, right, who connected us, the Shakti leadership author who I work with. And, yeah. and so I have worked with other people around the world. Ironically, COVID has allowed that, mm-hmm. right? We're all at home on Zoom. And if I'm willing to get up early, I can connect with my Italian colleagues and my French colleagues and we can do work. And so we're, I'm... We're starting to be more connected to be aware of the huge division. But I think you bring up a great point. I mean, we're all in our own little bubble, right? And so even though the United States has its huge deficits around diversity and huge issues, I, I understand that other countries maybe have their own. And Behind. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, a question for you on on leadership again, what are the most important qualities a leader should have? That's a, that's a great question. I think some of the, so I would call them, what are the skills that we should have access to? Okay. That's how I would maybe reframe that. So, so some of the skills I think we want access to are the, is the ability to, to, to do what we call reflection and action. Mm-hmm. So can we be considerate and thoughtful? Can we reflect while we are in the midst of the action as opposed to doing a knee-jerk reaction mm-hmm often quickly, often without a lot of thought, which is often wrong, right? Which is often a kind of a knee-jerk response instead of a thoughtful, you know, kind of a um, well-considered potential solution. So that would be one, reflection and action. Um, I think another skill is the ability to um, be self-aware. And when I say that, that seems a little kind of overused, but the ability to know oneself and to recognize where am I in this problem? Am I being triggered? Am I at my best? How am I reacting to this person or to this problem? And can I kind of deeply connect to myself to then be able to deeply connect to the issue and what is required of me as a leader? Mm. So I would say that would be another really great skill set. Okay. And, you know, you've been a sports person, you're director of CLA. What would you say is your leadership style? (laughs) Gosh, you know, I think as I've grown, it's an interesting question. I, I would like to think that as I've gotten more mature and wiser, my I don't have one style, but I have really expanded my capacity to adopt many styles as needed by my team, by the situation. And I would hope that as we develop leaders, we move away from thinking we've got one style Correct. because I think that boxes us in to kind of a rigid notion of how we should be. And instead, can we access different styles? So I I would think, and 
and say that sometimes I can be compassionate and, and gentle and maybe other times um, I could be more decisive, mm-hmm. you know, and I could be more, um, I certainly can be assertive. I don't think that's a problem <laughs> by any means, but, but I would like to think I can have access to an array of styles, you know, depending on what's needed by the situation. Correct. And I guess one of the key requirements of any leader is to be adaptable. So you're right. Absolutely. There cannot be a single style. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So Laurie, let's talk a little bit about the LGBT community uh, in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, uh, the LGBT community has the highest acceptance in the US and the rest of the world. There are lots of fights still going on. But tell me, how has societal acceptance changed over the years in the world? Gosh, the world's a hard one to speak to. Um, I don't know that I can speak to the world, but I can certainly but, speak maybe to the, to the United States, right? Oh, so um, I think one of the biggest differences that I've noticed is that now we're at least willing to have the conversation. We now have a name, right? We get talked about 25 years ago, even 20 years ago, we weren't talked about, we were whispered about, yes. right? We were sort of talked about behind closed doors or, or in the the therapy offices, you know, trying to, to change, figure out how to change us. And, and now we get to be part of the conversation. Um, it's not always joyful, a joyful conversation yet. Um, but I think just being part of the conversation is a big step. Correct. And, you know, I was talking to someone else uh, in India, and they said that the, the entire LGBT community is a major subject in diversity and inclusion. Yeah, I think something? it is. And I'm, yeah, I mean, I've noticed that. In fact, I've, I've been part of a conversation just recently on an issue or a big issue, organizational issue related to the LGBTQ community. And again, I think we're considered, I mean, right. Like, um, and, and I, and I will say, you know, not being able to speak for the whole community, but, but I appreciate it. And I know my, my, my friends and my colleagues uh, appreciate it. And so being considered, when we think about diversity, we think about diversity around sexuality and gender identity. And that's really important, you know, and, and I think the inclusivity is, is, is a great first step. Well said. And, you know, again, based on what you know of the U.S., I'd love to get your perspective on how do we remove biases in society? I mean, you know, these are mindsets. It's such a great, I mean, I think that's what we're facing right now, you know, and I think the first step is to become aware of and acknowledge your bias. I mean, that's number one. And I don't know that we're going to ever remove them. I don't know that removing them is the, the answer. And maybe that's been part of the problem is, is we we're, we're trying to get at the wrong thing. We're trying to remove our biases when we may never, but we can be aware of our biases and we can be aware of when they creep in and start to impact the way that we act and behave and speak. And so if I can catch myself just right before I say that kind of cruel comment or insensitive, you know, statement, then that may be a great first step to then eliminating cruel comments and insensitive statements. Correct. And, you know, uh, again, at the CLA, I come back to the CLA, uh, I think leaders will probably have to play a very major role in educating uh, their organizations yeah. about the need to include LGBT in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, culture change and the diversity work, inclusion work, it comes from the top. I mean, and we can do as many trainings as we want for the middle level managers or the, 
the employees, uh, you know, across the organization, if it's not fully embraced at the top, it's not going to matter. So you're absolutely right. I mean, we need the highest level leaders to start to advocate explicitly for the inclusion of quality and rights of all people, including LGBTQ, you know, and it may be uncomfortable and it pushes on people's faith-based buttons and beliefs. And I get all that. I totally do. And I was raised very, very Catholic. I fully understand all of that. And we need leaders to start to embrace the equality that the LGBT community deserves and has every right to access. Correct. So, you know, uh, this is now the age of the millennials and the Gen Zs. I'm 64 years old. When I was growing up, the subject of LGBT wasn't spoken about very much in India. Today, the younger generation is far more accepting uh, on, on, of everything. What are your thoughts on uh, the attitude of millennials and the Gen Zs on inclusion and diversity? You know, I, so I have four kids. And my oldest is 18. My youngest is 10. And I have a 15 and a 13. And I have mixed thoughts because I would like to hope that the younger generation is going to be our savior, right? Mm -hmm. but, but I wonder, does every older generation think that about the younger generation, okay. right? Is, that, is yeah. that an unfair burden on them? And my mixed thoughts come from, while well, I see in my own kids and most of our friends, probably because of who we choose to hang out with, right, would mm -hmm. have these beliefs. They're open, they're loving, they're compassionate, they're mm -hmm. curious. I also see that there are some that aren't, you know, and I see some of the, my, my own, my kids being the recipients of um, just unkind, cruel stuff and, and bullying and hate and, and maybe not even directed at them, but, but they hear it, you know, directed at others. And so I don't totally know. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. And I think this, the younger generations are, are maybe much more inspired to, um, you know, kind of create movements from the ground up and, and hopefully be vocal I think we're going to see a lot of difference with women from the very beginning, you know, just having their own voice. And so when these young women and, you know, hopefully people of color start to, to take over and mm -hmm. move into the workplace and make policy that we'll see it. But I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like. I'm not totally sure. So one more question before I move to some other, the next segment, yeah. should the subject or topic of diversity inclusion of all kinds, including LGBT, should this become uh, a part of the curriculum in schools? 100%. 100%. I think if we don't include it, you know, this speaks to kind of the social emotional curriculum, you know, we are doing our students, whatever age from, you know, kindergarten to, to college, a disservice because okay. this is the issue that we need to, to face and learn and develop skill sets around. And not just for the U.S., but because we are becoming a world that is smaller and business, you know, organizations, we're doing work globally. Um, and so if we don't understand how to understand each other, mm -hmm. if we can't work with how to work with each other, then I think we're, we're all going to be doomed to fail if I'm, if I'm so, uh, you know, kind of just so exaggerated. But we need to teach this stuff. And I think it's way more important than, you know, the Pythagorean theorem or how to, you know, Correct translate the preterite and conjugate a noun. I mean, you know, I mean, those things are great, but the DEI stuff, social emotional learning, connecting with each other, paramount Correct. for sure. I mean, these are, these are critical life skills that would help the individual, you know, and I think I so agree taught. Yeah, so Lord, let's absolutely. move to the last segment of our conversation. Okay. There are some questions for you personally. Yeah. Um, 
great success, had downsides, and have, have had a great career so far, and I'm sure there's a lot to look forward to. What does success mean to Laurie? Oh, that's, you know, that's a great question, I think. And since COVID, I've really asked myself that, right? Because mm-hmm. I, me, like many others, saw my work shift um, and saw many rugs that I thought I had nice and safely tucked underneath me pulled out, right? I think in this moment, you know, there's kind of the big success, kind of umbrella success, and then my immediate success. I would love to write a book. I've got like two or three kind of partially done. So I would love to be able to finish one or two, right, and and do that. That would be a a very personal success for me, I think. Um, I think the, the sort of the umbrella success is when I get to be a part of people who have that aha moment about themselves and their leadership, mm-hmm. that feels so good. And that feels like success. And when I get to do that kind of with a collective, so when several people do it within an organization mm-hmm. and you can see transformation about to happen, um, I don't know that there's anything better than that in terms of the particular work that I do. Um, and I feel so lucky. I mean, that's an amazing intimate process that, you know, when people have that. And so I feel so lucky and honored to have been a chance, you know, to have been able to, um, experience that with people. Fantastic. Quite the gift. Fantastic. And my follow-up question to that, uh, after success is where do you drive or get your inspiration from? Mm, Good question. You know, kind of what's funny, I love, well, two things. I love I love comedy, actually. And, and maybe it's because my life feels so full um, and I'm go, go, go all the time. I love good stand-up comedians, especially women. So I love kind of women stand-up comedians. And so I love their wit. I love their cleverness. I love their ability to kind of take serious things and make meaning out of them by making us laugh but think at the same time. So I get some inspiration, actually, from stand-up comedians. I also read a lot. I love reading. I mean, I would read, you know, go on a reading vacation if I could. And so I get a lot of my inspiration from from writers. Specifically, I love memoirs because I love people who have found their voice and have owned their story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a huge part of our each of our individual life's journey is to kind of look at our own narrative and own our story. So I get a, a ton of inspiration from memoir writers who have done that. Fantastic. So now time for two more questions for you. My next question is that if you, Laurie, were a role model to millions of children who closely followed you and your life choices, and I know you have four of your own, what is the one thing you would change in yourself? To kind of show them, um, I think I would change or adjust, be willing to be myself sooner okay okay yeah great answer and my last question to you and this comes to uh, you know i want to talk to you about failure i have a new book coming out on failure in oh. march next year published by bloomsbury um, great you know in, in in south asia i've always well held this belief that parents don't teach their children it's okay to fail and yet we fail all the time my question to you uh, is, and you, you told me out of your three milestones, you succeeded in the first milestone. You did not succeed in your second milestone. What have been some of your learnings from some of your mistakes or your failures? 
Yeah, you know, again, I think I would connect it to using my voice and being myself. I, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm divorced, so I, I got to, I wouldn't call that a failure because of the learning. And I don't like the language of a failed marriage or broken family. I just think that language is detrimental, yep. right? Yeah. But I learned so much from that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I learned to, to listen to myself and to trust myself maybe a little sooner than I did. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think I learned how important it is to find my voice and have the conversations, even if you know they're going to cause some ripples, but our voices are really important. And when we hold too much for too long, we then explode. And the explosion is a lot uglier <laughs> than if we were to let that steam out a little bit along the way, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of one big one from, from kind of that, that could be considered sort of a fail in, in, in some way. I think the other one, again, is just maybe, you know, related is it's okay to show vulnerability. And I don't mean necessarily vulnerability like who I truly am because I yeah. believe in that. But it's, it's okay to show like lack of imperfection. Like I try to tell my kids when I'm struggling, when I'm tired, if I've dropped the ball. Like I, for a while, and, and I still do this, this is a work in progress for me. So anybody that knows me that listening to this is like, yeah, right, Laura, you don't do this. It's a work in progress of being able to say, like, I'm struggling. I'm sucking it up right now. <laughs> Life is getting the best of me. I'm not okay. Um, and that's okay to do. You know, that we can do that and people will be there, you know, who love us. And that's okay. Fantastic. Laurie, thank you so much. It's been such a yeah. pleasure speaking to you. I wish you lots and lots thank of you. success. Thank you so much for having me. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.